0: Steve Pemberton, so incredible to have you here on the Choose Love podcast. Steve is a best-selling author, philanthropist, acclaimed speaker, and senior level executive for the likes of Monster.com, Walgreens, and Work Human. Steve's story is about defying seemingly insurmountable odds to become a trailblazing corporate executive, enlightened diversity leader, visionary youth advocate, and acclaimed speaker. His best-selling memoir, A Chance in the World, recounts his triumphant life journey and drive to become a man of resilience, determination, and vision. There's a major motion picture as well, A Chance in the World, to further amplify Steve's highly motivational message, Believe in Your Dreams, rise above obstacles, create opportunities for others, and most of all, persevere. You also have another book, The Lighthouse Effect, which is an idea that any of us immersed in the hustle and bustle of our lives, wrestling with our own ambitions and imperfections, can pause and change the arc of the life of another and find one for ourselves. Steve, thank you so much for being here today with us. This message, your message just resonates so deeply with me.
1: Uh, thank you, Scarlett, so, so much for that. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my gosh, absolutely. You know, the book was a really hard thing to read. Your your life is, is I have to tell you, uh, it, I, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm extra sensitive, because of course, I've had a child that was murdered. But for me, any time that I I I see, I I read about a child that's abused. Mm-hmm. It's just so incredibly hard for me mm-hmm. to, and and you took us through your story of that. And um it's so important that we sit with this discomfort. Mm-hmm. And and not only that, but take some amount of responsibility for it. That's been my message from the beginning. Uh, not just point fingers and blame and fault find, but also hold ourselves accountable for our children's health and well-being. And it doesn't just mean ours. It means our children out there. And change the things that aren't working because each one of us is so powerful. We can do a lot. And indeed, we have to do Something because what we're doing now isn't working. <laughs> doing the same thing over and over, and expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity. And of course, for you, we're specifically talking about the foster care system um, that that you went through. Can you share a little bit of of uh, for 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 our listeners that maybe haven't read your story yet or watched the movie yet? Um, what that was like for you?
1: So much of, of the story is and does lie in the title of the book and the movie, A Chance in the World. It's a commonly held refrain, but in my case, it had a very, very specific meaning. It came from the diary entry of a babysitter who saw me at one and a half years old. My mother was in the midst of a losing battle with alcoholism. My father uh unknown and unidentified by her was not in my life and this uh, babysitter who was actually the father of my mother's friend uh was often tasked with coming to pick me up and my mother would make arrangements for somebody to take care of me for a period of time a day or so well she said it was a day but sometimes it became a week and this became something of a routine. And you know, the the babysitter, uh, the father of, of of my mother's friend sees this happening uh, all the time, and and says he kept a diary, and he and he said of me, uh, this little boy doesn't have a chance in the world. Mm. Uh, and many many years later, uh, his daughter, my mother's friend, found me, and shared that diary entry with me. I was then a young dad, and when I saw that, I kind of smiled because I I thought that it symbolized exactly what I was seeking all along, and that any of us are actually reflections of. If you're standing in the world today, it's because somebody gave you a chance in the world, right. uh, and oftentimes when you see the opposite of that, it's because others may have been denied that very chance. Um, so growing up in uh, the Foster care system taken from my mother at the age of three, largely because of my appearance and my case file, I never saw her again. Um, The month that I entered into foster care. um, uh, With this one with this one foster home where I stayed for over 11 years my father, I would learn much, much later was murdered. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that both of them had been gone from me for a long time, even before their passings. And my mother died uh, when I was eight. I knew none of this until many, many years later. So what unfortunately happened is what is happening far too often today, that um, children are quite literally getting lost. And there are some places that you just can't imagine this is happening in America. Uh, But the system is, you're you're exactly right. It is strained. Uh, You have some wonderful, wonderful people Scarlett. they're trying to do the best that they can. I know, I mean, they're, they're really angels amongst us, and they carry the weight and emotional burden of not being able to protect children. But they're doing their best. Uh, So it's a reflection of a lot of other breakdowns in society that are landing on children in particular.
0: I completely agree. So, so here is this one and a half year old little boy, who doesn't have a chance in the world. Um we're all familiar with the uh say we are all familiar, but the the a trajectory, a path that you could have gone down mm-hmm. would have uh been maybe um just duplicating the way you were treated, uh not mm-hmm. only by by a mom who was in pain, by a father mm-hmm. who was in pain, but also by Uh, parents that were foster parents to you, that used you for income, that Mm -hmm. abused you, that treated you uh, not even like a human being, Mm. deserves to be treated without dignity. And you could have thought that about yourself. Mm -hmm. You could have, nobody would have blamed you if you had been so angry that you had lashed out and and maybe resorted to crime, uh, you know, wound up in prison, but you didn't, Mm -hmm. and how how did you, do? why why do some go down that path and some don't, and what's the difference?
1: You know, it's that age-old debate and question, is it nature versus nurture? That is debated in psychological uh, circles and social work circles. In sociology, there's a similar debate: agency versus structure. Agency is the individual person. Uh, what dictates and determines our life? Is it our own individual agency, or is it structures around us? Which one is it? And I've, I've actually found both those questions uh, to be slightly misleading because the the answers uh, is anchored. Um, in an either-or, when in fact, I, I think it's much more likely to be a both-and, um, that you there, there's got to be some desire to move beyond that circumstance. But you also have to see the possibilities in order to do so. And that, for me, was the distinction, I think, between my mother's life and my father's life and mine. I was actually the third generation to be orphaned. Uh, I was a third generation to lose a mother at 40. Uh, I was just next, and yet it avoided me, or I avoided it,
0: right, depending on, on, on your view. It didn't avoid you, though, because you were going down the same path of pain and rejection. So it actually didn't avoid you. You avoided it.
1: Yeah, no, That that's absolutely true. I didn't true. mean to
0: stop you, but yeah. I just, Yeah.
1: yeah. But but here's Keep why going. I think. It, Sorry. Here's why I think it did. Um, why the, the cycle's not repeated? Um, that there's yeah. not another generation, right? Um, yeah. So there's not a fourth generation. Uh, my children know nothing of this. Couldn't couldn't. They've read about it, but that's as far as it goes. They understand nothing about it. Uh, and I, I think for me it was these everyday people who came into my life at just the right time, most times unknowingly. They did not know the effect and the impact that they were having on me. So we often say that sometimes it just takes one kind, caring adult. I'm not even sure the bar is that high. I think sometimes it's one kind, caring interaction. Let me give you an example. I love to read. Reading was my sanctuary. It was a safe place for me, the safest place I ever knew. No one judged me in the books I read. I developed imagination and vision of a different life. And so it it actually seeded this idea that there was a different life for me. But that in and of itself wasn't sufficient. I needed a lighthouse. And it came to me in the form of this woman who would bring me books. Um, And she did that for the 11 years that I was in this very, very difficult foster home. Most times I never saw her. I saw the books the box of books that she brought. And I poured myself into them. So it made me a good student. Uh, it made me a good writer. It gave me some capabilities with the spoken word. I was, I was very quiet as, as a young boy. In other words, you need this meeting of the two of those two worlds. Uh, Claire Levin was her name, Claire, very mm-hmm. humble, uh, high school education, uh, stay-at-home mom her whole life. But she was very much a lighthouse. She had an enormous impact upon me. And I think that's true for a lot of us. We don't realize that it's in the interaction. That was an interaction, right? I didn't live with her. She didn't take me in. But it was that interaction of seeing in me something that nobody else at that point in my life saw. Uh, We each have that power, that that capability uh, to impact somebody's life like that.
0: We talk about it as having the courage to step outside of your own busyness and distraction, even pain and suffering that we all have. We all have something going on Mm -hmm. to help somebody else. We call it compassion in action. And Mm -hmm. we're all capable of that. Um, But it does take courage, even when approaching a kid that you see reading and saying, hey, you like books, I have some extras, I'm going to drop them off. And then, you know, going out of your way, it's easier just to walk on by. And I, you know, it's incredible and what an incredible message that that kindness and it's it goes beyond kindness it's it's literal caring because it goes way beyond kindness when it's 11 years of consistently bringing you books and not having any idea that behind that closed door, you're getting abused and, and, and you're not being respected. Mm She's I'm sure sometimes she didn't even know if you were going to be getting the books, but Mm -hmm. she kept doing it. And that Mm -hmm. is, that is really incredible. And I, and I love this message of, one interaction, because sometimes I think it seems so overwhelming. Sometimes it seems, I mean, this is what I do for a living now. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it seems overwhelming to me because there's so much pain in the world. And you talk about, uh, you know, what can I do as a single person? But if you look at the power of one interaction Mm -hmm. and how that love, that loving kindness, that caring, helped shape your life was a lighthouse. I love the lighthouse effect. I love that whole concept because each one of us can be a lighthouse in that. And and we can make the difference between life or death. And I really believe that's what it was for you ultimately.
1: Sure. And, and not only can we be a lighthouse, but perhaps we already are and just don't know it. Mm. You know, the lighthouse it it takes no inventory of the lives it has altered and changed in fact
0: Mm. it doesn't
1: even know who it saves and who it guides it never knows that's true for us as human beings too you never know who is taking example from your strength from your conviction from your courage you never know that Uh, now in some cases we do but by and large you're not really really aware many years later i had the opportunity to sit down with claire I had lost contact with her when I left that neighborhood when I was sixteen, and I thought I was never going to see her again. Actually, and I did because I wrote my first book, and people went looking for her, found her, and said, "Hey, there's this man who's written about you," and she had remembered me, and of course I had remembered her. And when I and I was always curious to know, so where did that come from? Like, why would you do that? You're right, Scarlett. Why over eleven years? not knowing the outcome. Why would you keep doing that? And her answer, I thought, was both fascinating and instructive. She said, I was doing what my mother told me to do, which was to give from where you are with whatever you have. So my mother would always say that, give from where you are with whatever you have. And what her mother meant by that was that you did not need to be wealthy that if you could only give a smile on that day, then you give a smile. If you can only give a box of books, then give a box of books. Give what you have from wherever you are, whatever station in life you are. And there's also this implied message of not only should you do that, but you have a responsibility to do that. And so she didn't think it was anything other than a value, a trait that... her her mother embodied and, 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 and reflected, you know, and you said something else that's so important about looking at um, how large some of these societal problems seem to be. I'm just a single individual. You know, what, what can I do? The 10 people that I wrote about in the lighthouse effect all demonstrated a certain kind of coverage, like the lighthouse does. They all been through something very, very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, whether it was the diagnosis of autism, whether it was being orphaned, whether it was losing a child to a mental health crisis, uh, whether it was having a parent die in your arms when you were 16, they mm-hmm. all went through something very difficult. But their response to it, and the courage that they showed, I think, in over in in, in battling through that, all had all was for a very specific reason. And it was so that they could encourage somebody else. So Mm. it it was having the courage, but to encourage somebody else, because sometimes the pain of our past is a present reality for someone else who sees in our victory, the possibility of their own. Mm. So that is why if you have overcome something or dealt with something very difficult, you have that responsibility. And in doing so, um, there. Yeah, it's painful to walk down that path. There are people, Scarlett, I know whose life you touch, and you have to walk down that same path of losing a child to encourage them, and that that's difficult. That's hard to do because I've got to relive some of this again. I've got to show my own kind of courage so that I can try to encourage them so that they can see a way through. Cause I know what that pain feels like. I know what that storm feels like. I know what it feels like to be lost in the storm and uncertain, Uh, you know, the lighthouse in a way is willing to wrestle with its own pain to help you through yours. We can all do that and be that.
0: That is so beautiful. And, And in fact, I've thought a lot about that over the course of the last year and I've realized not just over the course of the last year, the the course of the last eight years of my journey. And I've realized that it is, it is a huge part of my healing yes. to do that. Yes. So, so yes. it's incredible, Steve, to me, how, how the more we give, uh, we get all of that back. I, I say the, the nurturing, healing, love that we give out, we get back, but, Every time I put myself in in the position of using my story, sharing my story, and, and more important than my story is what I've learned from my story to help other people every time it helps me. I mean, people have said, gosh, how can you tell your story so many times and relive it? But every time I do, it's Mm -hmm. healing to me. I get so much love back. So I agree with you. Not only is it a responsibility, but actually Mm -hmm. it's part of the healing process. And and I'll even take it as far as to say, I think it's why we're here on Mm -hmm. earth to, to learn from, grow through, and be strengthened by our experiences. And then one step further, to use what we've learned to help other people—it's just I—that's I, that's why we're here. Do you agree?
1: I do, and and you know that's giving from a place not of the elevated station, because right now or, or far too often, you know, advice counsel comes from a place of of uh, title of celebrity of affluence. When I think the most resonant counsel comes from somebody who has walked down that road and and know uh what it is like uh in the addiction world uh, there there is a, a commonly held refrain um about someone who likens addiction to be down in um falling through a manhole cover and uh one person walks by and says i'm gonna go call and get help and uh and then another person walks by and says i'll pray for you and then a third person jumps down there with you and, and and you say to them, well, why would you jump down here? Um, uh, you know, now we're both stuck. Yeah. And <laughs> to which the person says, yeah, you're right. We are both down here, but I've been here before and I know the way out. Mm.
0: It's a very
1: different, that's a very different mm. approach, right, to helping someone through. And it may be the only thing that really heals us. Uh, Now the scars will always be there. There are things that you've lost, that I've lost that can never be returned. There is no such thing as getting whole with some things, but the the pain of that can be as wide as a six lane highway. But by helping others, you can get it down to the single country road uh, that doesn't seem to overwhelm you. And you now know, and those we've lost know, that it was not in vain, that the loss was not in vain, actually, and that you've helped navigate somebody else through through a similar trial and tribulation. I don't know if there's a better way to love humankind than that. I'm not convinced that there is.
0: That's beautiful. And then the act of offering that up to others makes it not in vain, (laughs) you know, helps Jesse's murder to not be in vain because he's helped so many other people. I have one more passerby to add to the manhole scenario. <laughs> I, have the, I have the passerby that looks down in the hole and goes, uh, yeah, you're exactly where you deserve to be because you made the choices to get there and sorry for you, but uh, you know, blaming. Finger pointing, fault finding, judging, and uh and then walks on by self-righteously.
1: Yeah. And isn't that uh uh you know, isn't that a lot of what we're seeing in the world today? Right? We we certainly see this on the medium of uh, that is social media, right? Where you are judged um and tried uh and assumed. Um I, I Something came across my wire uh, just earlier today about a judgment of a celebrity, and they called it shaming and and what have you. And that always struck me as uh, that's always struck me as kind of curious, as they themselves have never been in a similar situation where they needed understanding uh, and or or support or somebody they loved uh, needed uh, understanding. And yet, isn't that the beauty of the lighthouse that the lighthouse itself does not qualify your distress? nor does it render judgment on your uncertainty or being in a bad spot. It does not say, well, didn't you know a storm was coming? It doesn't say, well, didn't you sail this way before? Didn't you know that there was a reef over there? Didn't you know that? It doesn't say any of those things. It doesn't ask you your race. It doesn't ask you your gender. It doesn't give a damn who you voted for in the last election because what the Lighthouse sees is your humanity. That's what it sees. And so therefore, that's all it's concerned about. It's it's only concerned about your humanity. And in moments of stress and challenge and difficulty, if we can see that in someone else, then boy, there there is some power in that. The point of being here, the first person that I wrote about in The Lighthouse Effect was the man who took me in when I was 16 years old. Uh, His name was John Sykes. Uh, John, a bachelor, living on his own, Scarlett, no responsibilities other than being a teacher and a counselor. And then he gets this call three days after Christmas, can you take in this 16-year-old kid? Now, years later, I asked John about that very phone call because I needed a miracle. And uh, I'd been in my social worker's office all day. They couldn't find me placement. And I mentioned John to them because I overheard him say something really nice about me and years later i asked him about that phone call from the social worker and he said that he had the phone in one ear and he says talk to my social worker he says but in the other ear he's having a conversation with god and I, i already knew about the conversation with the social worker but the one with god i didn't know about that one i said well what were the two of you talking about and here's what he said He said, I was trying to convince God that I wasn't good enough to do this, that uh, I'm alone. I'm a bachelor. I'm also an alcoholic. I know it. I haven't told anybody about it. God, I'm not good enough to take in this boy. And I said, well, what did God say back to you? And he said, well, what I heard back was, you may not trust you but I trust you. This young boy's out of options. He's got nowhere to go. And for John, he would say many years later, exactly your point, that his pathway through addiction came because he realized in that moment, I'm battling this demon that is addiction, but God still thinks I have worth and I have value and that I can actually impact this young boy's life now it didn't mean that he entered in recovery immediately it took him some time and in fact it probably got worse after i left when i went to college a year later because mm-hmm. uh, i was his purpose i for a while but what he not, in essence said was that yes was i steve's lighthouse i was and he surely was but he said he was also mine too <sighs>
0: That is so beautiful. That's just so authentic. We all feel at times like we're not capable of what's being put in front of us, that we're not worthy, we're not enough. I mean, all of us have those moments. I certainly do. And and you're right. You're right. Because I do believe that we're chosen for our purpose right. and that yeah. God believes that we can do it or he wouldn't have put that in front of us for sure.
1: That's right. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, and, and when we think about the people in, in, our, in our life and how they show up and the reasons that they show up, and it all has to do um, with their own journeys, right? Their own journeys. I've never described this idea that, you know, you had to be of a community. Uh, You know, you don't have to be part of the disability community to know uh, that access is a challenge um, or to be fully seen as a member of the LGBTQ community, for example. A lot of us know what it's like to be on the periphery of something or in the the shadows, to not be fully seen or valued. All of us, it doesn't matter what walk of life you've come from, you know what it's like to be the other. And because you've had that experience, though it may be temporary, you have the ability to understand somebody else's experience and therefore offer that kind word, that gesture, you know, standing, you know, in, in in the gap. And it's so much of the character of the country, I would argue, Scott, that has changed so much and so dramatically over the last few years, you know, the polarization, taking too much of our cues from political culture, which is just bent on, on division Uh, I'm not sure that we're ever going to find our common humanity through that lens specifically. I think it's more in the everyday people. You know, the people who teach our children, and well, look at the pandemic. People have been on the front lines of that pandemic, uh, who who stock the grocery shelves and deliver the mail. You know, those are the people who have the most resonance in our life. And when we look down the journey that has been our own um, a voyage. And you ask people, so who, who was your lighthouse? Mm. I haven't met anybody yet who has to spend a lot of time thinking about it. They know we all know because as life and time moves on. You realize the whole trajectory of my life is different. If not for that elementary school teacher, if not for that high school coach, if not for that first boss, that person in that interaction that we talked about earlier, they most times unknowingly, put all of this in motion. They put all of this in motion and they don't they don't even know it.
0: And you're talking about these people down to like a positive interaction, but what do you think about the idea that and I'm just going to throw this out there that uh these these negative interactions that we have could be lighthouses as well.
1: Well, they they often tell you what not to do and what not, yeah. not to be. I, in my 20s, I worked in college admissions. And so I was the person who read your application. I was the person whose signature was at the bottom of the letter. So you interacted with a lot of young people through my visits to high schools, and you interacted with a lot of families. Scarlett, everything I, I know about parenting, I learned working in college admissions, and specifically what not to do. Uh, I mean, I just saw behaviors, um, living through one's child, Uh, everything, and though being married and being a dad was a decade away, I remember thinking at 23 years old, 24 years old, whatever you do, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. It became a guide. I look at the journey that is my own parents' lives, and I had the same kind of reaction. Don't do that like don't do that. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, the, the reason that cycles are repeated is because we don't frame another narrative for how to deal with pain and suffering. And you've got to find because that pain has to go somewhere. It has to. It has to. And if it goes inward, then that leads to self-destruction. So where, where does where does pain go? And whether that's pain over getting terminated Uh, a divorce, um, the end of a friendship, a disappointment um, on a project. Where does pain go? It's gotta go somewhere. And oftentimes, if it doesn't go somewhere, it's gonna get directed inward. And then another series of behaviors kind of unfold. I saw uh, my father self-destruction, very, very talented athlete, one of the top amateur fighters in the country and probably the world but he was hurting over the disintegration of his own family. And so that pain, he initially poured into boxing, but when that didn't work out, it turned inward. And it cost him his life, and it cost me a father. I learned from that. I learned from that.
0: That's incredibly powerful. And you're right, the pain has to go somewhere, and we have to... It's my feeling that we have to have some amount of coping skills and the ability to choose (laughs) where we put that pain, Um, because how would we know that, yeah, I, I have so much pain, but I can use it to help somebody else, if not for, I mean, like, you're an incredible role model for that. You've done it. You're teaching it. You have that message that's out there and it's the message of our time actually steve because there is so much pain i'm on the road i'm in schools i'm uh, talking mm-hmm. to kids and educators and parents and there's a there's i think an unprecedented amount of pain and mm-hmm. also we're in an unprecedented time in our history where there's so much fear out there and uncertainty and our brains just want to stay safe so uh, so in other words a super pandemic of anxiety and it's all coming around to uh the bottom line is do we have the skills the essential life skills we need to be able to take what's happening now in our lives uh, learn from it, grow through it, and be strengthened by it, and then use what we learn to help others. I mean, that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get this Choose Love movement out there um, a free, comprehensive character, social, emotional development program to mm-hmm. kids so that they have these skills and tools so that they can make the choice. Um, so important. And, you know, at the same time, I. Just got off a conversation with a friend the other day who uh, knows someone who's a foster parent. They took in a young boy with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome who is, um, you know, I always say if you don't have the words, if you're not, don't have the emotional intelligence to be able to say how you feel, it's going to come out in your behavior. And so that's exactly what's happening. And, um, but to the point where it's dangerous, not only to the little boy, but to the people around him. And yet he does have a family that's trying to advocate for him, but um, you know, they're being stretched as well. I mean, what what do you say to foster parents out there that are listening to this or who know someone? Um, What I mean, what are your words of encouragement for them?
1: Well, first, foster, foster parents are, are to me, salt of the earth. They're uh, they should be treated and viewed in the same way that we see first responders in a way. Yes, because that's that's I agree intervening step that that they they are taking, and it is it is challenging because there is always a history there, and it's always an inherited one because the child has done nothing wrong. And, I, and that's the first thing I would say to foster parents is that the child has committed no crime, they've done nothing to deserve that inheritance, because it is an inheritance, you know, specifically. And you may be their only chance in the world. You you may be it. I mean, if you look down, down the road and you, you see how some of these situations do not turn out well. You know that chance that comes in the form of foster parents is never happened. You know the the other is that it is certainly it's a longer process. You know there's, there's this wonderful um, you know a Greek proverb that says a society grows great when the elders of that society plant trees in whose shade they know they will never sit. Mm. You don't always get to see exactly how the story turns out none of us live long enough to see that and so we'd like to think that we will see in our lifetime the full picture of how that story turns out now we'll see a partial picture for sure uh but we won't see you know the full picture you know for uh and yet that's isn't that the essence of faith right isn't that the essence of love you know for those foster parents who deal with very very challenging situations and and they see that as the children get older and become adults and make choices that uh that hurt i was actually talking to someone two two days ago uh, who described to me her parents adopting a child at 7 months old and gave him all the love that they gave her and they were raised together and Um, he just, as he got older, could not overcome those demons. And so her, her parents wanted to ask me, uh, through her about that. Uh, and I, I, I said, you did the single most important thing you could, anybody could ever do. You gave him a chance. You Mm -hmm. gave him a chance. That's the same thing I talked to my three about, mom and dad. Our responsibility is to give you that chance, but we cannot make you take it. We God gives us free will. And if God gives us free will in choosing God, then you can almost certainly believe that he's going to give you free will in choosing advice or counsel or direction or love in this case. I can't make you choose that. The only thing that I can do is say here's the door and behind that door is magic and new beginnings and love and grace and gratitude and a place where the pain you'll look back on it and it won't seem as large. uh, But I cannot walk through that door for you those false parents literally gave him that 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 chance and we can't make the choice for you, but that doesn't fully heal you, of course, but you try to, you hope that it gives some comfort because they did do that. They loved them as best as they could for as long as they could.
0: That's beautiful. And uh, I have a family member that that's going to really resonate with as well. That is uh, really beautiful. Um, What about the parents that are listening that didn't have great, Parental role models mm-hmm. and are maybe, you know, if you 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 do what you know, and so maybe they are recreating some of uh their parents' uh dysfunction in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that happens a lot. I know I've even done that a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh so so what advice would you give to those parents who you know, you have to want to change, <laughs> but that that do and that are willing to commit the effort to doing that.
1: Yes. You know, Shakespeare referred to parents as heaven's lieutenants. He said, because to children, they are the voice of God. That's how powerful parents are, according mm-hmm. to Shakespeare. Yes. And when you yes. realize just how powerful that is, you, know, you begin to see that that revisitation of how you were parented uh, has to be part of your calculus, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether it was indifferent. There has to be some reckoning and realization of how you were parented. And um, and to realize it does influence the way that you show up as a parent. It absolutely does. Uh, there's uh, uh, an old story uh, about... Um, a mother who's sitting on a front porch with her two daughters, who are both pregnant at the same time. Um, and the girls are going on and on with their mom about how they're not going to make the mistakes that um, that she made with them. And it was clear it was a loving relationship, so they were teasing her a bit. And the mother's listening to this for a while, and this girl, as she leans over and she gently pats both of their bellies. And she says, that's okay, girls, you're going to make new mistakes.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right. Make yeah. new mistakes. Like parenting to me one-on-one make new mistakes. Don't make yeah. old ones, make, make, make new mistakes. And even those mistakes when they come from a place of love and compassion, um, you know, are, are, are understandable to children late, late, later on, uh, and And to be cognizant, especially when they were adverse parenting that you endured and went through, it's no accident that children who are abused, not always, but sometimes abuse their own children. Why is that? Because that's their frame of reference for parenting. And so uh, you have to find another way. so in in and, and I grew up in a world where uh, corporal punishment, was the way that punishment was meted out and it was um, it was barbaric by any definition it was barbaric because that's how that foster family was i had to be very cognizant of that Uh, and so i do not and and have not spanked my children Um, in, in this universe taking their phone away hurts a whole lot more (laughs) <laughs> uh, but i remembered what 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 did i remember i remembered the fear. i remembered the fear more than anything else that was worse than anything else even hungry being hungry because at least I could figure out a way to steal food from them but fear uh just consumed your every being, your every being and so even even when i had to summon my children in for a conversation and the first thing they'll say am i in trouble? and I can see the fear. And yeah. I'm like, hey, and I and I still remember feeling that way. And I'm like, well, there's some things we have to talk about, but it doesn't require you to be afraid, right? It doesn't require you to be afraid. And just taking a calculation of, of, of your own parenting and, and to be resolved that you have this power as a parent to end a cycle. Uh, they were parented because that's how they parented you that way because that's how they were parented. Uh, and so you can end what uh, has been a cycle and oftentimes is a cycle of parenting.
0: That's a great point. And if you don't put the effort in and it is effort and awareness to mm-hmm. end the cycle, then that's how your kids most likely will parent their kids. And is that what you want for your kids?
1: Absolutely not. And, and you talk to a few grandparents and they see their children parenting and they're like, oh, my God. And they don't wanna, you know, they don't want to admit that. Was I that bad? Was that because they because they know, they know that's what they saw, right? And so there's a degree of patience and and understanding and, and always revisitation. You know, it's 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 okay for our spouses to hold up a mirror sometimes for our parenting uh and say, hey, is that really the messages? that you want to be conveying and it doesn't mean that all the parental messages of discipline and accountability and responsibility I'm not suggesting that those are to be avoided at all what I am saying is that they can they can be administered a bit differently than how we were parented
0: so important and and so Steve when you work with I know you work in corporations and you provide mm-hmm. executive coaching. Um, what are the what are the major issues that you are seeing right now?
1: It's something that you were hinting at a bit earlier, and it is the broader way that we're engaging and interacting: the cynicism, the polarization, the carping at one another, uh, the suspension of morality the um, seeming unwillingness uh, to see in someone else a part of our own story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's costing us a great deal. And it's not what future generations did. I mean, past generations, that's not what they did. So the world in which we live today is larger because they did the opposite of what we seem to be doing you know they they when when something was immoral or wrong uh they leaned into it by their own admission they would say not always successfully but they were cognizant of it they didn't dismiss it or deflect it that's many of the lessons of our grandparents who are if you're in your 50s they're considered the greatest generation was for a reason they did some really tough stuff uh, made sacrifices that are unimaginable in our day. Uh, Going off to a war, relatively certain you're not going to come back. Mm -hmm. Avoiding nuclear war, standing on the front lines of a civil rights movement. (laughs) uh, These were tough things they did. And and yet here we are um, seemingly in a different kind of battle against ourselves. And oftentimes it's driven by people who absolutely do not deserve the adulation and the recognition that they seem to be getting either because it's superficial. You know, division, Scarlet is a business model. It's, it's, it drives advertising, uh, it gets you votes. Fear is a business model and it perpetuates it. Uh, I always have this back and forth with, with, with my wife. I don't watch the news. And because the first six stories, you're going to get bombarded by cynicism and rushing to crime scenes and interviewing families in the midst of pain. And it's all driving fear. It's selling fear. Mm -hmm. So you have to be so conscious of how you start your day. Like Even if you you start your day by doing this Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and looking at the mayhem in the world, that seeps into one's consciousness. Mm-hmm. and so you have to find these other lighthouse moments right every day let me give you an example of that every day I, I get up early part of my beginning of my day i'm an early early riser so i'll get up and i drive one town over because it's quiet and it's a, you know nice neighborhood that I'm, uh, I'm i'm driving through um and i stop and get dunkin donuts i'm from new england so dunkin donuts on like on every corner i'm in the midwest these days and i when i, I stop drive through in hugo He's, he's at the drive-through every day. And my interactions with him are never longer than a minute because of somebody behind me. And But I've learned so much about Hugo over the years. I know how many children he has. I know what country he's from. I know what time his shift starts. Uh, I know when he's looking for more hours. Like And, you know, always those interactions with Hugo and then Lucy, who's there when he's not there. Sometimes they work together. They become like my friends. Uh-huh. You know, and they just kind of anchor me each and every day—a blur of things coming at me—and I just think pointing our own kind of uh, example from those everyday folks, you know, uh, there's something restorative to me. Uh, you know, in in that, and so a lot of leaders, especially in the business world that I'm in, they're they're seeing the effects of this, uh, and they're they're too wondering. What is our, as corporations, what is our societal responsibility? Because not enough, I'm just going to go for share, drive shareholder value, make profit. No, I have this greater responsibility to society. So it's why you see them leaning in, especially after the murder of George Floyd and realizing that there are some, some systemic inequities that we have to address. They're leaning into what women have encountered in the workplace, specifically vis-a-vis the Me Too movement. Right? I mean, there's this greater responsibility that organizations have to reshape and reframe the social constructs and narratives in the way in which we engage and interact, because those are people, especially in the midst of a pandemic, they showed us the way, and they continue to show us the way.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. So when you're talking about um, Jose and, and Lucy, um, you're talking about these what you were talking about in the beginning, these interactions these short interactions um of of really giving and receiving love and and we're all about interactions and and we're all about this social connection and I agree with you the fact that we are we have we are I guess we're maybe coming out of a social distancing era regardless of how short it's been it has really, There's a toll that's going to have to be paid and we're seeing it in 30% increase in homicides and death by drug overdose last year. I mean, we're seeing a direct, there's a direct correlation to that. And so for you to choose not to go on and and start your day with the negativity, but to focus on that interaction with another human being. And this is you're talking about in the drive through lane of the Dunkin Donuts, uh, giving yeah. and receiving love right there is is you're you're helping somebody and and they're helping you to start your day off well. And that's so important. and and you're right. I totally agree that, um corporate america has to take on a bigger responsibility and and not just corporate america but each and every one of us i mean we live in this world and mm-hmm. we are responsible ultimately for what goes on in it and i know that it would be so great if someone would swoop in and fix all of these issues for it and i for us i think sometimes we wait for that and uh in the end uh, it's it's going to have to be us
1: it is. And I think we we've seen, especially politically, w- the consequences of that kind of savior mentality um, and ceding that responsibility to another. Claire Levin, who brought me books, did not do that. She didn't say, Well, I hope somebody else is going to bring you books. She didn't say it's not my responsibility. Um, you know, she took the exact opposite tact and approach. And you know, for anyone who's listening to this conversation who thinks, you know, what Scarlett and Steve are talking about is this kind of soft squishy altruistic too earnest what are they talking about uh love and what does it have to do with some of the harder things in 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 life well it's the reason we remember martin luther king as fondly as we do and why his legacy has endured as long as it has Uh, because he was exactly right that is the only way that you can really steward your way through these kinds of things we are indeed in unprecedented times. Now, the American experience in the American experiment was the American dream uh, was actually not coined by the founding fathers. Uh, it was a far more recent vintage. It was actually first um, uh, articulated by a depression era writer. His name was James Truslow Adams. And he said, You know, The American Dream is his book uh, written in 1931, Eve of the Great Depression, uh, called The Epic of America. And what he said was, you know, the American Dream is really about one thing more than anything else. It's about mobility. Can I do better than my parents? Can my children do better than me? That's the American Dream. And we distilled that down into, uh, you know, a house and a white picket pants. And, um, and, and he said that that was predicated on two things, your own ambition and whether or not you had the opportunity. Well, when opportunity is restricted in this case, in form of massive income inequality, everything that you just described prior is what happens when the ramps of mobility have changed and they have changed. We have people born in the zip codes and if you drive through those zip codes whether it's in rural america or in in the cities of america you drive through and you 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 would reasonably you would be right in your question to ask how are you going to get out of here crumbling schools no infrastructure no banks how in the world are you going to get out of here why what is that about that's about mobility your the ability to move beyond and when you don't have that it's no wonder you have record levels of addiction and incarceration and homicide and family separations because that's that was Adam's point. When you don't have that, people, then they lose hope and then they get angry. And to be angry and apathetic at the same time is a very, very dangerous combination. And that pain that we talked about earlier, I'm angry about my lot in life and I am resolved that there is nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about it. And that leads to self-destruction. That was my father's story. There's nothing I can do about this. I have this talent, but that's all I've got. I've been denied love. He literally said that. This love thing, this is not for me. I wasn't I wasn't born for that. And that's what happened. I think that's happening over and over and over again. So we have this to Claire Levin's point we have this responsibility to lean into that actually we have to do that for for our sake for our children's sake for their children's sake otherwise this country won't be recognizable to us in a very very short period of time and lastly on that point stop turning that responsibility over to uh you know the the affluent and and the celebrity and the politician far too often those folks are going to disappoint you i mean they often do, to be candid. But the lighthouses in our life, well, there's a reason that we remember them because they they were the opposite end of that. They leaned into our lives and we we're forever grateful to them for having done so.
0: I love that, Steve. And and I and I often say, you know, if if those people that you mentioned, if they could have fixed it. They would have, because they are suffering like we are, maybe in different ways, but they absolutely have a child that has committed suicide or is on drugs or bullied something. Mm -hmm. They have felt the pain. If they could have fixed it, they would have. (laughs) And, And simply to me, that means that we all need to take responsibility and stop passing the buck and saying uh you know this is this is too big for me because it's not because we're all living in this world and we we all have a reason and a purpose for living here and once you realize that and take responsibility then you can be part of the solution and uh and I love that and and in that vein steve i want you to know that uh in uh new hampshire
1: mm-hmm.
0: we started working with at-risk youth Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: and through that work we became involved in the foster care system there and now choose love and this character social emotional development programming is mandatory uh, and a mandatory part of their foster care system in Mm -hmm. hampshire and i just wanted to tell you that because um You know, the turning point for me, I will say, is my son's murder because I was that person. um, And I'll freely admit this. Nine years ago, looking at the school shootings and saying, oh, gosh, that's horrible. It truly is. I feel bad for that. But that will never happen to me, for one thing. And, And 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 number two what can I do about it? There's, there's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is go home, be the best mom to my two boys, raise good sons, and then put them out into the world. And and then I've done my job. But, um, and you know what, I probably would continue to think that except that, Mm. you know, Jesse was murdered, and it woke me up Mm. to the realization that, no, we all have to take responsibility. And we can't continue to blame uh you know even Adam Lanza or his mom yes they're responsible for their mistakes but if they're not responsible for the trend they're not responsible for the hundreds of other school shootings that have happened since Sandy Hook so then you have to say well who is and right. then and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, it it may be us. And, and it's actually a good feeling because you talked about that hopeless and helpless feeling. And I think a lot of people are looking out into the world today, having that helpless, hopeless feeling that does lead to anger and rage and, and, and is most likely, uh, no, absolutely part of the, the increasing homicide rate. Mm -hmm. And, When we take the time to realize we are personally responsible, we return what's called the locus of control to inside of us and we start making things happen, even if it's baby steps, um, even if it is consciously, consciously going out every day and saying, how can I have a lighthouse moment today? I'm gonna to have one lighthouse moment today. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be anything. It can be at the drive-through at Dunkin' Donuts. It can be uh, something outside of your normal everyday life, outside of your kids, outside of your family and friends, but reaching outside your comfort zone because it's only then that we grow. And having that one lighthouse moment, that, I believe, can change the world.
1: And often does when we look down the, the span of our lives. Uh, John uh, Sykes, who, who took me in, he described that as saying yes. Mm. That, that over the course of our life, we all have this opportunity to say yes. Uh, and it's undeniable. You you can't pretend you didn't hear. <laughs> you can't pretend you didn't hear. Uh, and so you know, saying yes isn't isn't that powerful and 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 instructive? You know, for for all of us, uh, the 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 moments in our life that have such an impact upon us, uh, because somebody said yes for us or, or 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 to us. And but as a people, the lighthouses in my life made it abundantly clear to me that was not free. You know, it was clear that I had a responsibility to say yes. And so each day presents this opportunity to say yes. Uh, some years ago, after my first book was written, I received a letter from a fifth grader, Scarlett was so beautiful. And my I was working at Walgreens at the time, my assistant put it on a stack of mail because she wanted to make sure that I saw it. And as soon as I saw it, I said, well, I, I wasn't thinking of lighthouses at the time, but I thought, well, I had a favorite author in the fifth grade and you know what, I'm gonna go to that young man's school and I'm gonna surprise him. I call the teacher. The teacher begins helping me plan it. She says, I have to get permission from the principal. The principal says, No, it's late in the year. It's not on our calendar. I don't know this man. You know, the teacher is uh, a bit disappointed by that and says, Well, I'm going to bring you the book he wrote and you can read it over the weekend and then let me know if you've changed your mind. Uh, and so next day, she walks into the principal's office, hands her a chance in the world, walks out, gives, you know, quick interaction. And she's barely through the doorway before she hears the principal say, well, how soon can he come? (laughs) And, you know, she just caught off guard because she had just given her a litany of reasons why she couldn't. And at one point the teacher says, well, um, don't you want to read that? Don't you want to learn a little bit more about him? And the principal says, well, I'm sure that uh, there's some things about him that I'm going to learn from this. She says, but a lot of this, I already know. Because I was that man's second grade teacher 40 years before.
0: Wow. When
1: when Julian was writing to me, he did not know that his principal was once my second grade teacher and I in responding to him did not know that either. So here I am thinking that I'm saying, what am I doing? I'm saying yes. Right. Interaction. Uh, Now, that was coming from the people who made sure that I understood I had a responsibility. And I think there's a a lot of lessons in that, of course. Uh, But here you are thinking that you're doing something for that young man. And yes, you know, I was. But he was also doing something for me. And as it turned out, for uh, my second grade teacher who hadn't known how I turned out.
0: Oh, incredible story. I urge everyone to get both of your books and read them and and be a lighthouse for someone do do your part take responsibility be part of the solution i will say that it does take courage to get to that yes Mm -hmm. a lot of times that's why courage is our first character value that we teach in the choose love movement um it does take a lot of courage and it's going to take a lot of courage especially in the face of what's going on now you said that um basically the foundation of a lot of a lot of the dysfunction is fear and and that is true and um you know fear is is not the absence of difficulty it's just the courage to walk through it and uh it's it's uh it's it's so important and you've you've really, um, you're an incredible role model. I'm so honored and thankful that you agreed to um, be on the podcast, Steve, and share your story with us. I'm looking forward to our book club and you coming back and um, discussing both of these books with us. Thank you so much. Do you have any final words of inspiration. You've already shared so much with us. I mean, this, this has been life-changing for me and I'm so appreciative to you.
1: Well, I do have some final words and they're, they're, they are about you uh, and uh, all that you have done. I appreciate your kind words uh, about me. Just know that that feeling is incredibly mutual. Uh, when I think of all the work that, that you have done, it is quite literally the personification of that proverb that I shared earlier, you know, planting trees in who we don't ever really uh, know uh, how, it, how, it, how it turns out. Uh, and the, the lives, the awakenings that you've created, the new beginnings that you've created that we don't get to see is such a wonderful, you know, testament to, uh, to your life and how you, uh, you embody one of the attributes of the lighthouse, which is having the courage to end courage, to be willing to navigate your own pain and loss uh, to try and help somebody else through theirs, it is such an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, gift, uh, and I, I I pray that you will continue that that courage to encourage, because there are a lot of people out there who who need you, Scarlett. So thank you for for having me. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I'll be hard pressed to have a better one uh, for the rest of this week. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I, I totally agree. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, everyone go out and be a lighthouse for someone. I know that I am. And thank you, Steve, so much. So appreciate you. Thank you for, I feel like, you know, you're, you're the epitome of choosing love. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Hey, hey,
1: hey, oh. It's all part of us. We can all choose love, it'll lift you up if you let
0: it in, let the healing Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country in every state and over 112 countries and counting. We are giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.